So good to see so many of you here tonight, and I am excited for this series that that we're starting off tonight called Defeating Death. And we're going to talk about different questions, different topics that come up related to this issue over the next four weeks together. Well, I came across uh, an individual a few, I think a, a year or two ago, and then I got more acquainted with him in the last couple months as I read one of his, actually the only book that I believe he wrote. And his name, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I apologize. Paul, I think it's Kalanithi or Kalanithi, um, who is a, an author and someone that you may know. So that is Paul there with his wife um, and his daughter. And Paul, when he grew up and when he was young, had a promising career. It looked like everything was going great for Paul. He went to Stanford as an undergrad. He went to Cambridge for his master's degree. He went to Yale Medical School and he was doing his postdoctoral research as a neurosurgeon at Stanford Hospital. He was esteemed. He was well known throughout the medical community in his young 30s, a promising neurosurgeon with his entire life ahead of him, beautiful wife, everything ahead of him. And then when he was 35, he started to lose weight. He had severe back pain and he was going to some of his friends and they were scanning and they couldn't find anything. And then different things started to happen to his body that him being a surgeon, he started telling to himself till he finally could tell a friend out loud one day, I think I have cancer. And the friend said, what do you mean? You're 35. You're the picture of health. What do you mean? And finally he got some clearer scans that showed that his lungs were filled with stage four cancer. And he had a unique perspective being one of the leading neurosurgeons in the world. And you may have heard of him because he published a few articles while he was battling his illness. He battled it for 22 months that were published in the New York Times. And his book, which was actually published after he died, he died at 37 years old, was on the New York Times bestseller list for over a year. I read it a few months ago. It's called When Breath Becomes Air. And it's this fascinating look at someone who was so intimately associated with death. Literally, he went to work and every single day, people's lives hung in the balance of his hands. If he made mistakes, people died. And suddenly, he wasn't just facing other people's death. He was facing his own death. And the subtitle to his book, I thought, was so provoking. His title, his subtitle, excuse me, is What Makes Life Worth Living in the Face of Death? What makes life worth living in the face of death? And in Paul's story, it's interesting, he actually grew up in a Christian home, walked away from that when he left, and then after it, right before and then during this time, actually came back to his faith. Because what makes life worth living in the face of certain death, suddenly it changed how he thought about how he spent his time, his energy, his talent, suddenly getting back to work wasn't the most important thing in his life anymore. And his story is a powerful one, but I think a powerful reminder to us as well. See, we're we're talking about the next four weeks, this idea defeating death. And you may think, as I've told different people that we're going to be doing this at Sunday night service, they're like, wow, that's a downer. 
you couldn't have picked anything else more exciting to talk about? And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just depressed and I'm sad, so I want to talk about death all the time. Maybe because it's Halloween in a couple weeks. I don't know. That didn't even come across in my mind when I was planning the fall. But as I was thinking about it, it's, it's true. For, for Paul, he, his life was different because he knew his life would end within a year or two. Now, we don't know when our lives are going to end, but they are. Each of us, and in a group this size of a couple hundred of us, our lives, the chances are that someone in this room won't be alive in one or two or three years from now. The one of us. And the, idea, the thing is, none of us know who that is. For none of us, tomorrow is guaranteed. And so I want us to think about death together for the next few weeks, because as we think about death, it should cause us to think about our life. Thinking about death should cause us to think about our life and how we live our lives now and what we're doing with our lives today. So as we start off on this series tonight, we're, we're going to explore this question together tonight of where does death come from? Where does death come from? And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me to the book of Genesis. If you're new, there's a Bible in front of you. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So if you literally just open it and keep thumbing till you get there, you'll find it. And it's on page two. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start tonight, all right? So if you're new, you picked a great first night to come to church because you only got to find page 2 in your Bible to start with tonight. The, the first point in our outline tonight as we're thinking of this question of where death comes from is that death comes from sin. Death comes from sin. And to explore that, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, which goes back to explain how this world came into being and then what happened after that. So Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15, says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You will surely die. Meaning that if Adam had not partaken of the tree, if he had not sinned against God, his life was meant to be lived forever. He was not, Adam was not created to die, but to live and that was God's plan for him, to, to subdue, to multiply, to fill the earth, to spread, to live, only if he followed this one condition. Well, in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent asked her in verse 4, You will not surely die. You will not surely die. And so facing this temptation... Eve and Adam right next to her take this, this fruit that was forbidden. They take it and they eat it together. And God comes down and is in their midst and he asks them what they have done. And they see we, we, we have been wronged. We, the serpent deceived us. And in, the, in that, that, that God starts to pronounce judgments on the serpent and then on the man and the woman. 
And the last thing that he says to them in in chapter 3 as part of this, it says this in chapter 3 verse 19. He says this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you now return to the ground. For out of it you were taken and you are dust and to dust you shall return. And just the next page over in your Bible, in Genesis 5, 5, it records that Adam had this many kids, lived for this many years, and then Adam died. Genesis 5, 5, Adam died. What God had said would happen to them if they did it, indeed did happen. See, as we start this series, it's important for us to realize, and as we think about the world that we live in today, the world as we know it is not how the world was designed to be. The world as you and I know it today, as we experience, that's not how God originally designed it to be. It wasn't just to live for 60, 70, 80 years and then to pass away. It wasn't wasn't meant to be lived with pain and with toil and with hardship. But the world that we live in has been thrown off by sin. And death is the ultimate reminder of the effects of sin in our world. When we see death, it should be an obvious example to us that the world isn't working like how it was meant to be designed. Because this isn't what God's intentional and purpose plan was originally when he created us. Have you ever seen something that you knew right away, that's not how that's supposed to work? I came across a video, chances are you may have seen it. If not, you'll have fun the next 33 seconds of a video where it's obvious that something, you can go ahead and play it, something is not doing what it was designed to do. This is at our beloved O'Hare Airport here in Chicago. That's a beverage cart. I don't think that's what beverage carts are designed to do. As you can see, it keeps getting closer and closer to the airplane. Right on time, right on time. Comes in and takes, takes it out, stops it from crashing into the airplane. That guy deserves a raise. I don't know him, that guy, that gal, whoever that is, they deserve a raise. You see that and you're like, that is clearly not what that was designed to do. That's how obvious death should be in our world. Death is not what we were designed for. It wasn't God's original plan for us, but it's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin entering into our world. And because we live now, all of us live, on the other side of sin, we don't experience the world now as it was originally designed to be. And I think this actually for for us should be a source of profound hope and profound joy when we see a world filled with death and devastation. When we see everything going on around us, that we can actually remind ourselves this isn't originally how it was meant to be, but something is wrong here. If you wonder what's wrong in our world, I would just encourage you to start to read the news. Look around the world a little bit. Friday in Afghanistan, 62 people bombed and killed in Afghanistan. Wednesday, 35 people on a bus in Saudi Arabia get in a car crash. The bus explodes, kills 35 people. Over 80 plus civilians have been killed in northern Syria in the last two weeks alone in the conflict there. 
And of course, we live in the city of Chicago where I don't know what the count is today, but as of a couple days ago, it was well over 400 homicides in the city of Chicago just this calendar year. And our hearts cry out, that's not what it was meant to be. One that was just, I think, two weeks ago on the northwest side of Chicago, just a few miles from where I live. I don't know if you saw this story. A man walked into a family of four, getting, sitting down, waiting for dinner, waiting for one more to come. And he walked in and shot and killed all of them, chased the one who ran out the back door and shot and killed them as well. And our hearts cry out and say, that's not how the world was meant to be. Because it isn't. Because death has come from sin. And it's not how God created the world to be. And seeing the world from this lens of a Christian worldview is, I think, the only thing that gives us hope in the midst of death. Seeing our world from a Christian perspective is the only thing that gives us hope in the midst of death. See, if you live your life with a materialistic and humanist worldview that all there is is what we see, the physical realm, we're here by chance, there's no purpose to our lives, then death is just another kind of thing that happens to each and every other creature and it's exactly how things were meant to be. But the God of the Bible and Christianity teaches that this isn't how it was meant to be. That when our hearts cry out that something's wrong, your heart is crying out correctly. Death isn't what we were created for, but death is a result of sin in our lives. Death is a result of sin. It comes from sin. And secondly, we see here tonight that death affects all of us. Death is something that will affect each and every one of us. The psalmist puts it so well in Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, verses 9 and 12, he says this, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, death affects all of us. But our culture is obsessed with pushing away the idea that death has any effect on us. It's, it's interesting. We live in such an interesting world because in one sense, we love to celebrate death. How many movies on TV the next two weeks will be on this theme of death or things coming back from the dead or dead things walking around, right? How many skeletons? And we're kind of fascinated with it. But at the same time, we don't want anything to do with death when it comes to our own lives. And we're obsessed in our American culture with youth and with being young. I went to the, uh, to the barbershop on, on Friday to get a haircut, and I was reminded of this story because the lady who cut my hair on Friday said something to me several months ago, I don't know, six months, eight months ago, that I, it was the first time anyone had ever told it to me, and I remember the reaction within me when she said it. I was sitting down there, and we were just carrying out a quiet conversation about her day, her weekend plans. And then as she was cutting my hair, she said, just casually offhand, she goes, oh, the gray in your hair is coming in very nicely. And I was like, what did she? I was like, I am not old enough that that is a compliment to me. 
Like, what, what, does she, what is she saying to me? The gray in my hair? I'm like, I know it's right here because I can see that. But what does she mean it's coming? See, why, why do I, even though I'm not insecure about my gray in my hair at all, why does when someone say that to me, my, I go, oh no, this is bad. Because in our world, getting old, dying is seen as a bad thing. We need to stay as young as possible. There will never be a store on Michigan Avenue called Forever 65. Right? It's called Forever 21 for a reason because they know that people always love to dream, oh, I'll always be 21, and if I'm not, I could at least look like I'm 21. I couldn't find two recent statistics, but in eight years ago, in 2011, that's why in the U.S. alone, over $10 billion was, was spent on cosmetic surgery. Because we want to look young. We want to push away. We don't want anything to do with our own mortality, anything to do with our death. But death affects all of us. We can push the effects of it. We can age well. We can act like it's not coming by, by how we take care of ourselves. But inevitably, it's coming for each and every one of us. And if something inevitable is coming, we can either prepare for it or will be caught off guard when it eventually shows up. Something inevitable is coming in Chicago that I had to start to prepare for yesterday. It was a sad day at the best home yesterday as I started the process of closing down our pool. No more will the pool be used in 2019. Yes, snow is coming and before the pool freezes, I need to drain some of the pool out and put a cover on it. I detached my hoses from the front yard. I'm not going to need to water my lawn anymore. Not for the next eight months, maybe 10. It's inevitable. Winter is coming. Better get prepared now because if not, that's just going to get stuck out there in ruins. So you better prepare now. Death is going to affect all of us. Besides, if Jesus comes back, we are all headed there and we don't know when. So the inevitability of death gives us two options. Either one, we can prepare for it, or number one, or secondly, we can just deny it and ignore it and be caught unprepared at when it comes. I love this phrase there in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, that the psalmist uses. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. How is the inevitability of your death changing how you live your life? How is the inevitability of your death changing how you live your life? We just did a series in here on finding our identity in Jesus rather than in the things of this world. And the inevitability of us dying means that sooner than later, we all will stand before God face to face. And that should change the priorities, the things that we do and spend our time on now. I think so often we deny the death is going to affect us and so we live in ways that we actually shouldn't live. So often I think we're prisoner to what's urgent in our lives that we neglect the important things in our lives. What is urgent? What needs to be done today that we push away the important things that each and every one of us needs to do? As, as a homeowner, this is easy for me to do. If you own a home, you know there is always something that you should be doing to your home. 
There's always more. There's always something else. And it seems urgent constantly. And sometimes I feel like there's this tension. Did I buy this house to work on it or to spend time with my family that I live in with it? Because that's the important thing. But I can tell myself, well, the urgent thing is that I just do this all the time. And we become overwhelmed by just what's coming into our lives. That we're not setting our priorities for what's important. But if death is inevitable, we must spend time on the important things in our lives. When I think of the inevitability of our death, of my death, I'm convicted as well that for me, I think for many of us, entertainment in our lives drives us away from what's life-giving in our lives. Entertainment drives us away from what's actually giving us life and meaning and purpose. I dare you, if you have the courage when you get home, don't do it right now, but later take out your phone and look to see how many hours a day you were on your phone this last week. If you don't know how, just type in screen time. It will tell you. It'll tell you how many times you picked up your phone and it will tell you exactly how many hours you wasted on each of your apps that you have on your phone. Think of how many hours we spend in front of the TV, in front of the computer, while the people we love are sitting next to us and we're not even engaging with them because we'd rather be entertained than entertained. Inter- Sorry, then engage with the life-giving people around us. But if our lives are inevitably leading to death, it must cause us to live differently as we wait for that to come. Death comes from sin. Death affects each and every one of us. And thirdly tonight, death is not just physical. Death is not just a physical thing that, that comes to each and every one of us. But we, when, when sin entered the world, there was death and sin that corrupted multitudes of relationships in our world. Three of the things that, that death is not just physical, that sin affects our relationships with other people. There's three different things that we can clearly see here in Genesis chapter 3. First is that sin affects our relationship with people. Sin affects our relationship with others. It says to to the woman, he says in Genesis chapter 3, that your desires shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. It's talking about how conflict would now characterize their relationship with one another. Married couples, you were not made to fight with your spouse. Can I get an amen to that, right? Amen, amen, amen. But why do we have conflict in our relationships with people? Because sin and death has entered into the world as a result of the fall. Can you imagine the marriage relationship that Adam and Eve had before sin? There was no fighting. There was no complaining. There was no backstabbing. There was no wrong motives. It was a pure relationship. And we know that this relationship with people wasn't just marriage relationships that were corrupted. If you go over to the next chapter in your Bible, Genesis chapter 4, The first brothers, Cain and Abel, models of God, and they kill each other. Oh, okay. The one murders the other because he doesn't like what he's done. Okay, our relationships are messed up across the board. And that conflict is because of sin and death that's entered into the world. It's, It's corrupted and damages all of the relationships that we have. The second thing that that is damaged by sin, the second relationship, is it damages our relationship with creation. It damages the relationship that we have with the creation that God has given us. See, we we read it there in chapter 2 that Adam was commanded to work in the garden and to keep it. 
In chapter 1, he was told to subdue and have dominion over all things. See, Adam was created to work. He was created to do things. I don't know if you thought like heaven was going to be one permanent vacation. I'm sorry to ruin it for you. It's not. We were created to work, to, to have activity, to do things. Adam's job was to cultivate and subdue the earth. But, but it wasn't that, that that happened as the fall. But after sin entered the world, after death entered into the world, God spoke down to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. And he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. See, for Adam, as one who's working, who's living, whose job was around agriculture, this was a clear effect on his relationship with his work that would have once would have been simply enjoyable and life-giving is now filled with pain and trouble and problems. If you translate this into like 21st century jobs, it's like now your life will be filled with pointless meanings and endless emails flooding into your inbox after you've left work. And we all go, oh no, 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 not that, not that. That's the most painful, toilsome thing possible for some of us. Whatever it is in your job. We were created to, to have work and to enjoy the things that God has given us. But because of the fall, because death has entered into the world, sin affects our relationship with creation. And we are still made to work. But now that work is troublesome and painful. But lastly, the last relationship that was affected by sin is our relationship with God. Sin affects profoundly our relationship with God. There's this beautiful image in Genesis that God would come down with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening and walk amongst them. God's dwelling was with mankind because they were in perfect relationship with him. But when we sinned, that violated the relationship that we had with God. And he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, it still affects you and I to this day. It says this in Romans chapter 5. This is on your, your printout as well. Romans chapter 5. It says this in verses, it's starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death came through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. Now death here is not just, it includes that, but it's not just physical death. But how Paul's going to argue this out, he's clearly talking about spiritual death as well. That spiritually we were created to have a perfect relationship with God, to be in perfect harmony with him. But because of the sin that's now in our world, the sin that's now in our lives, we don't have this perfect relationship with God anymore. Verse 13 for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. If many died through the one's trespasses, that's you and I, we each died through Adam's sin. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, sin has violated our relationships with each other, our relationship with creation, and ultimately our relationship with God. Death is not just a physical symptom that we will one day experience, but we, each of us, apart from Jesus Christ, are spiritually dead in our sin. When the Bible talks about someone being spiritually dead, what it means is that nothing you could do could bring yourself to life. Right? You, you know that if you drive by a cemetery, they're not there because they didn't try hard enough to stay alive, but they're dead. And a dead person can't change their status. Nothing they can do can bring themselves back to life. And that's why it's so amazing, this message of what it means to have relationship with Jesus. The salvation that the Bible talks about isn't something that we try and do because we are dead in our sin. We are spiritually dead and separated from God. But it says this so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as by one man came death, by one man also has come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, we experience death in this world. Each and every one of us will physically die if Jesus doesn't return soon. That death is inevitable. It affects each and every one of us. And so in light of that, I just want to ask you tonight, we're going to talk about this again the next week and the week after as well because it's so important. Since death is inevitable, are you ready for it? Since death is inevitable, are you ready for it? I'm struck as I've gotten to attend many different funerals over the years. How it seems like people show up and they all talk about how surprised they were that this person died. And sometimes it does seem to be a surprising death. Maybe the person is younger. Maybe it was in a car accident or something awful. But it seems like we go around life living as if death is this great shock. As if we didn't know it was ever going to happen to anyone. Friends, let's not have that attitude about our lives. It doesn't mean we have to live in this fatalistic worldview that we go around all moping and sad because we know we're going to die. But because we know we're going to die, the question is, and we're going to dive in real deep to this next week, do you know what's going to happen to you after you die? Because our spiritual death separates us from God. But it says in the New Testament that Jesus came so that we may have life. That we were dead in our sin. But God comes and through his grace and his love and his mercy, he pours out his kindness towards us. And that when we simply believe in Jesus, believe that his life, his death for us on the cross and his resurrection is the source of our spiritual life, God takes what is dead and he now makes it alive. That's the transformation, that's the change that each and every one of us need to have in our lives. I want to encourage you to to have that transformation, if you haven't, to make that decision tonight. Because death is inevitable. And who knows, it may come to some of us sooner than we may think. The question's not will we die, but when. 
So the better question is, will we be prepared for that day as well? God, we thank you that your word clearly teaches us these truths. God, and while thinking of death is not necessarily fun or something we enjoy, God, it's necessary. God, and I thank you that you have made a way through Jesus Christ that we can defeat death, that true life is found in him. God, may we place our hopes, our lives on you. May we live this week in light of the fact that each and any one of us could meet you this week. God, we thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.